feelings define who we are, or does the body, or like she said, meat skeleton we've been assigned at birth? So I want to answer this question today along with many others, but, but here's what I want us to balance today. People and concepts. We tend to lean one way or the other, right? Some of us want to love and not really think or engage issues. Some of us want to engage issues, but we don't really care much about loving people well. So I hope to speak today in a way where we recognize that if we just love instead of think deeply, we might help someone in the short term, but actually cause them harm in the long run. But I also don't think it's ever godly for us to treat truth like it's a grenade launcher and never create love people and, and care for them as they are created in the image of God. So truth-informed love, that's the target we're looking to hit today. We want God's truth to be upheld and celebrated, but we also want people who fall short of that truth to be loved. So there's a lot to discuss today, and, and if I'm honest, I really stress like crazy about what to leave in this talk and what to cut. There are so many different directions you can go with this issue. Um, there's no way I could do it justice by trying to take it all on. So I've decided to head in a direction today that's going to be most relevant to what you all are seeing at school, on social media, but I do want you to know this. I know that I'm just discussing a small slice of what the trans issue is. There's more to this issue, more stories than I could include today. So I, I love movies that are origin stories. I love listening to how people became the way that they are. And I think that before we just dive into this issue, we need to understand the backstory of how we got to this place in culture. Because there's actually this very important storyline that's being woven into every aspect of our modern life. We actually don't realize this. We don't question it or its truth. We just see it as the way things are. So the first one is identity. This is what's called radical or expressive individualism. And this belief is that deep within us are these feelings and desires that we must find out about ourselves in order to be our truest self. In the past, we found our identity and duties, relationship to God, family, community, but now the center of our identity is us. And the biggest job that we all have is to find out who we are in order to reach fulfillment. And this is where we get the idea behind these slogans in life. I just want to chill, have fun, and experience the world. I'm working on learning to love myself. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Live your truth. Live your dream. So a large way that our world believes we find ourselves is through our gender and sexual identity. And when you do, and only when you do, then you're living authentically. So the bad guys in this story are the people that stand in the way of you being who you really are. And the best thing in life is to be set free from duties and people's expectations. So next one, relativism. Now this just means truth is what you make it. There's no universal meaning or truth. We are the ones that hold the power to decide this in our lives. 
So what is right for one person might be wrong for another. We get slogans like this. Who are you to tell me what to do or push your truth on me? Come on, there's no such thing as absolute truth. That's great for you, but it's not for me. So relativism denies that there's any one right way to understand the world. There's no grand story taking place. There's only many stories, and none of them are true for everyone. Now, the third is Gnosticism. Now, what in the world does that word mean? So, actually, Gnosticism is a false teaching. It actually predates Christianity, began to spread through the early church in the Greco-Roman world, and today it's actually making a comeback. So, very briefly, here's what you need to know. This is what, they, what Gnosticism is. The physical world is considered bad, broken, so the goal is for people to seek spiritual escape away from the world. What we believe about ourselves is different than and actually more important than our physical bodies. And then there is a divide that lies between our true self and our body. Our bodies are viewed as something less than, so we can basically use, shape it, and change it to match what we feel on the inside. So the video we actually opened with is a Gnostic idea. Believing our gender can be different than and separate from our biological sex. Okay, so a little more, little more pre-work. We're going to go over some definitions really, really quick so you know what I'm talking about when I use certain terms. First one is going to be like, why are you even telling me what this is? Biological sex. This means biological makeup. Primary sex characteristics we're all born with. You have a male or a female reproductive system. Okay, there are secondary sex characteristics. That is physical differences between men and women. Men tend to be taller, have broader shoulders. Women tend to have wider hips, and they're typically shorter. So I want you to listen to a brief clip from the cardiologist Paula Johnson. She's a Harvard grad. She founded one of the first facilities in the nation to focus on heart disease for women. And she actually found that even though heart disease is one of the top killers for women, it was going undetected because it didn't present like male heart disease. Listen to her describe the differences between male and female. We'll play that. Today, we know that every cell has a sex. Now, that's a term coined by the Institute of Medicine. And what it means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular levels. It means that we're different across all of our organs, from our brains to our hearts, our lungs, our joints. Today, super short clip. <laughs> so gender. According to the American Psychological Association, this is attitudes, feelings, behaviors that a given culture associates with their biological sex. So in every society until the last decade or so in parts of the West, gender has always been attached to sex. What has recently changed in the last decade is that we now see gender and sex as separate rather than connected things. So gender identity, this is a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. All of us have gender identity. Now gender dysphoria, though, 
is when someone experiences distress, inner anguish, or discomfort because there is a conflict between their gender identity and their biological sex. So this is a genuine experience for some people. This person has the inner experience that their body is actually lying to them. Non-binary. A binary is something that has two options, black or white, good or bad, male or female. People who identify as non-binary don't feel that either of these categories reflect how they experience their gender. And transition is when someone who transitions is actually beginning the process of matching their biological sex to the gender they feel they really are. They might simply begin to dress like their chosen gender, or they might begin the medical process of becoming male to female, female to male. So here's an important thing to note, guys. A person who is dealing with gender dysphoria is not necessarily transgender. Someone may experience dysphoria, but choose to still live in alignment with their biological sex. But when someone decides to follow these desires to some extent, this is what it means to be trans. Okay, so in Genesis, whoops, in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, when God made us in his image, he made us with a body. So our bodies are essential to bearing God's image. The Hebrew word for image is teselem, which is almost always used to refer to idols in the Old Testament. Now, what were idols? Well, they were physical objects that were meant to be a statue or a copy of an invisible deity. So to be made in God's image means that we are to be a visible representation of God's presence in the world. But we aren't just a body. Genesis 2-7 says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So God's life-giving spirit is also essential to our personhood. So here's one of the most basic statements about humanity. Preston Sprinkle says, God has made us in his image. He has breathed his life into us and we now live as sexed embodied beings because we bear God's image as male or female. Now, when God made Adam and Eve, the author of Genesis uses this interesting word to imply that their bodies were made with sacredness in mind. Genesis 2, 21 through 22 says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, the word rib in Hebrew is tesela, and this is what's interesting about this word. It doesn't actually mean rib in this section of Scripture. This word occurs 40 more times in the Old Testament. It never means rib. It actually means the side of a sacred piece of architecture. In fact, in Ezekiel 41, this word is used nine times to refer to the side rooms in the temple of the Lord. So why is this important? Why should you care about this? 
Well, Adam and Eve's bodies are basically being compared to sacred pieces of architecture. This goes with the idea of us being created in the image of God. Temples in the Old Testament were meant to embody God's presence, and according to this word usage, so are our bodies. So remember, today's argument for transgenderism is that it is who you feel you are that matters, not what your biological sex dictates to you. So what we're seeing in culture right now is this low view of the body, a high emphasis on feelings, but this completely goes against the thought and care that God put into the creation of our bodies. So a question I want to ask you guys is, if this is the truest definition of gender, what we see now in our world, who assign this view? I mean, I know who the author is of the view I hold. Have you ever wondered who authored this view? What's strange is that many Christians get accused sometimes of being arrogant because we think we alone hold the right view. But here's the thing. If God rules over me and I'm submitting myself to his views on life, I'm actually having to humble myself and admit I don't know everything. For the non-believer, who is their authority? Themselves. What they believe and what they feel is right for them. But I just want to ask, how is that the more humble view? So let's look at a couple more scriptures concerning this idea. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually speaks a lot on the body because many Corinthians held to that Gnostic view that we just talked about, where there was a divide between spirit and body. So they believed that what they did in their body really didn't matter. So there was a lot of sexual immorality happening in the Corinthian church. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And in Romans 6.13, Paul says to offer yourselves to God. But in Romans 12.1, whoops. In Romans 12.1, he says a very similar thing, but a minor change. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, here's what I want you to see in this. Look at how Paul uses body and you in exchange for one another. In God's eyes, you and your body are forever linked. In fact, we could say it like this. We cannot separate the real you from the embodied you. So knowing this, here's a question. Should someone who is a believer experiencing gender dysphoria transition? Well, I'm going to answer it really clearly. If the Bible sees our body and ourselves as intertwined, then someone with gender dysphoria should seek to move more towards this truth than away from it. Now, is that going to look different than it does for those of us who don't have that struggle? Yes. I'm speaking more about the direction they head, not how perfectly they make that movement. So I want to look at two things today that are deeply impacting teens and young adults today. 
So the first one is gender stereotypes. You know, we have gender stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman. Now, these exist because they fit for most males and females. That doesn't mean all. We could say it like this. Stereotypes are descriptions of how men and women might behave, but they're not necessarily biblical prescriptions for everyone. So I want you to think about the young girl who prefers football over Disney princess movies. A decade ago, this girl might simply just be called a tomboy. But if a parent holds a hyper-feminine view, that that parent can become very fearful and try to make their daughter be more stereotypically female. Or another parent who has no issue with transgenderism would rush too quickly to assume their kid was born in the wrong body. Or the boy that shows no interest in sports. Maybe he enjoys cooking or playing dolls with his sister. Now a parent with a hyper-masculine view might worry that their kid isn't acting boyish enough and actually try to force certain issues on that kid. But the parent that's pro-trans would allow that boy to start dressing however they wanted and insist that their child's school refer to them as a she. So a real temptation that we Christians have to avoid in a time where gender transition is being celebrated, it's almost seen as normal to question your gender identity, we could easily swing the other way and start playing the game of extreme stereotypes. And I don't believe that this is helpful. Society doesn't need to rush to say someone has gender identity issues, and Christians don't need to rush to say someone isn't holding to biblical masculinity or femininity just because they don't fit the typical gender stereotype. So I'm going to move now into a section that's um, probably the leading thing that you all are seeing right now in your high schools, colleges, social media. And there's actually a name for it. It's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Now, I, I want to state something first. Gender dysphoria is a real condition affecting people. My talk today is not to deny its existence, but to simply provide a framework for how Christians should think about this and how believers that may be dealing with this or have friends that are dealing with this should respond. So the Williams Institute is a branch of US, UCLA law. It tracks sexual orientation and gender identity in the US. And they estimate that about 0.06 adults identify as transgender, which is about 1.4 million adults in the U.S. Now, here's how gender dysphoria has man manifested itself throughout history. It's typically presented in early childhood, usually ages 2 to 4. It can grow more severe in adolescence. It usually has happened exclusively to boys, although it can occur with little girls as well. That's not typically how it presents. Next week, I'm actually going to be interviewing someone whose daughter experienced this at a very young age. But in most cases of gender dysphoria, nearly 70% of childhood gender dysphoria resolves itself with no outside intervention. But in the last decade, we've seen that number change very dramatically. For the first time in history, Girls are not only presenting with gender dysphoria, they are the majority of cases in the West. They also are not reporting symptoms in childhood, but out of nowhere many times in adolescence, 
they begin to report this. Now, Lisa Lippman, she is an OB-GYN doctor at Brown University. She's not a conservative. She's not Christian. I don't know if you know this, but Brown University is certainly no Texas A&M. She is not even against transgender people. But what she began to see in her community was that multiple girls with the same friend group were all coming out as trans at once. And she saw this as like the statistically impossible reality. So she began to research it. And she ended up coining the term rapid onset gender dysphoria. Here's what she found out in her research. Few children showed any signs of gender dysphoria growing up. This new identity seemed to appear out of the blue. They had many friends who were trans or who had recently come out as trans. Um, they became more popular in their friend group after coming out as trans. They also engaged in heavy online and social media, and they also had many other health concerns that were not being addressed. Now, that last factor, Lippman was actually really curious about this, and so she explored it further. And here's what she found. 63% of the kids in Littman's research had one or more psychiatric diagnosis or developmental disabilities that were there before the gender trans dysphoria presented itself. So 48% had experienced a traumatic or stressful event. 45% were engaging in self-harm before the dysphoria. 15 were diagnosed with ADHD, 12% with OCD, 12% were on the autism spectrum, 7% had an eating disorder, 7% were bipolar. Now these issues were there before the gender dysphoria. And when they actually went to consult a doctor or gender therapist, only 28% chose to explore any of those issues further, their previous trauma, or any other possible causes. Now as a side note, I want to be clear. I don't want these facts being used as weapons to fling around carelessly and argue that all teens are just faking, they're just looking for attention. Please hear me. I'm saying quite the opposite. In many of these cases, not all of them, but in many, gender dysphoria might very likely be a symptom of something deeper that we as Christians should care about. And if we just laugh, if we just tell them it's a phase, if we just blow them off, there are trans YouTube influencers that will gladly take our place in discipling today's teens. So there's some genuinely concerning realities happening in the medical field regarding this issue. There's something called gender-affirming care. It means that if a teen says they feel like they were a boy or girl, there are not a lot of breaks in the medical community being applied to that issue to slow it down. Let's wait and see. Basically, if your kid says they're trans, they're trans. So parents are encouraged. Don't raise any questions. Many times they've been given the ultimatum by therapists or doctors to either allow their child to transition or their child will attempt suicide. I have seen this in my work as well. There have been cases in Ohio and California where parents have lost custody of their children because they didn't want their teen girl getting testosterone. They didn't consent to their teen's breasts being removed. Girls are being given testosterone as young as 12. 
Their uteruses and ovaries are being removed at age 16. And in Oregon, this is true, 15-year-olds can transition to another sex without the approval of their parents. So Joanna Olson Kennedy, she's one of the lead proponents of gender-affirming care. She's an adolescent doctor at the Children's Hospital in L.A. She got a $5.6 million grant from the state of California to perform double mastectomies on girls as young as 13 years old for a peer-reviewed medical journal. And she has said they want to go back and get breasts later, they can go back and get breasts later. As if breasts are just a hunk of tissue, they are an organ. <laughs> they actually have a purpose. Now there's a really interesting idea of what is actually happening that I want to talk about. Since this rapid onset gender dysphoria doesn't at all reflect how gender dysphoria has presented itself throughout history, we have to ask this question, what is going on? What are we actually seeing right now? England saw a 4,400% increase in the last decade. U.S. has had a 1,000% increase in teens reporting gender dysphoria. Sweden, extremely liberal country, they are actually revisiting how they respond to gender dysphoria because of the increase in rates. There, there are alarm bells being sounded now. There's something called social or peer contagion. It's actually something that's happened throughout history where certain behaviors, conditions, feelings, and attitudes all begin to happen within a culture, and then they spread to other people so they catch it like it's contagious. That's why they came up with the word contagion. Now, if you want to blow me off, here are some examples of this throughout history. Some of the older people in the room might know this movie. In 1976, there was a movie called Sybil. It was made about a young woman who suffered severe abuse. She had developed multiple personalities. This, this movie is about this woman going to therapy, identifying all these personalities, and ultimately finding healing. Well, guess what? After the movie was made, our society saw a huge increase in diagnoses of multiple personality disorder being given to people. People were claiming to have multiple memories of abuse and having multiple personalities. That diagnosis began to be thrown around constantly. Why? Because it was now in the mainstream culture. We were hearing about it more. We also see it in the medical treatment of lobotomies in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Now, a lobotomy involves severing connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex. They would stick an ice pick through your eye and relieve, they would separate, sever the connections, the neural pathways. And because they believe that separating the feeling part of the brain from the thinking part of the brain was the cure for mental illness. This was being touted as the cure-all magical cure for mental illness. So what did you see? It be, be, began being used on everybody that had mental illness. This will help you until it was found to be completely damaging and unhelpful to patients. It's now considered a barbaric practice in psychiatric history. Another more recent example of social contagion among teens would be cutting or eating disorders. 
Now, all this means, I'm not saying this is fake. I'm just saying that we tend to see these issues happen in clusters of people. Whenever someone comes into my office and says their kid is struggling with this, one of the, time, one of the things I ask usually is, is anyone in their friend group or anyone they know dealing with it? I've yet to have someone tell me no. Now, I have had people tell me that their parents maybe struggle with that, and that is kind of being pushed on them as teens, but that could be an example of contagion as well. So I'm not saying this to insult anyone, and I'm not saying this to make light of the issue. What I'm trying to communicate here is that all of us are more susceptible to being influenced by others than we'd like to think. So now that gender dysphoria has entered into the larger mainstream culture by way of YouTube personalities and Caitlyn Jenner from the Kardashians and other popular television programs, all these things have helped elevate it from something that very few people knew about to now if you see a boy putting on his mom's shoes, it's the first or second thing you think of. So once a diagnosis reaches this level of exposure in mainstream cultures, doctors, therapists, parents, schools are going to see much more of it. Now there are some new stories, though, happening in the larger conversation that involve young teens and adults who went through transition and now regret it. These young adults have been called detransitioners. And one of the most known cases with this involved a young person named Kira Bell. She lives in London. Her story is actually a very heartbreaking one. It involved growing up in an alcoholic home with a mentally ill mother. Her father was largely absent, and she found acceptance with the boys in the neighborhood and, and by considering herself a tomboy. But as she began to hit puberty, she began to experience this hatred for her body. She lost the companionship of boys that had actually been the one bright spot in her otherwise lonely childhood. And one day, she reports becoming severely depressed at 14, and her mother just one day out of the blue asked her if she wanted to become a boy. Shortly after that, her father's girlfriend asked her the same question because of how she presented. And so she ended up going to a gender clinic, and after three visits, she was given puberty blockers, she, which actually puts a person's normal hormonal development on pause. She was then put on cross-sex hormones, which gave her facial hair and a lowered voice. This also resulted in her becoming infertile, unable to ever have children. She later had both of her breasts removed. She regrets all of this now and ended up suing the hospital for rushing too quickly to start her on a process that she now says was destructive. And the court in London actually ended up ruling in her favor. The hospital has since suspended treatment for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors. And Kira says... I look back with a lot of sadness. There was nothing wrong with my body. I was just lost and without proper support. Transition gave me the ability to hide from myself even more than before. It was a temporary fix. But the further my transition went, the more I realized I wasn't a man I never would be. 
We are told these days that when someone presents with gender dysphoria, this reflects a person's real or true self. That the desire to change genders is set. But this was not the case for me. As I matured, I recognized that gender dysphoria was a symptom of my overall misery, not its cause. Five years after beginning my medical transition to becoming male, I began the process of detransitioning. A lot of trans men talk today about how you can't cry with a high dose of testosterone in your body. And this was true for me too. I couldn't release my emotions. And one of the first signs that I was becoming Kira again was that thankfully at last I was able to cry. I had a lot to cry about. Now I want you to imagine Kira being a student that sits next to you in class. What kind of person would you be to her? Would you be the person encouraging her to accept her true gender identity as a boy? Be someone that tells her medical transition is the cure? Or would you be the person who looks at her, thinks she's weird, and you never speak to her, you never acknowledge her? Would you see her as a freak or someone made in God's image with a desire to belong and be known? In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That Jesus offers us this rest if we come to him and believe in his name. But here's the thing. Our culture is saying this same verse to you too. Especially in regards to the trans issue. They believe rest comes through accepting who you are and living that out fully. And here's what you have to decide. Which one is true? And here's the question you have to ask yourself to determine this. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that God made you? That he wants to be in relationship with the people that he made. And if you believe there is a God who made you and wants to be in relationship with you, then because we are made with him, by him, he has authority over us as a loving father would. And you have to ask yourself if you believe this is true. And if it is true, then what he calls us to is the best way to live, and it's what our souls most need. Andrew Walker says it like this, we don't break free from the effects of the fall by following the course of the fall in our own life and decision. Thank you so much for listening. You guys did great. <laughs> Thank you, and please come in next week. Um, I'm going to be interviewing someone.
Um, and I'm really excited. It is a really powerful story. I don't know if I'm going to discuss a couple other things or show another video, but I will be interviewing someone, and I really want you to come hear it. It is a powerful, powerful story, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.